All right, we're going to start the message this morning. A little bit unusual. We're going to start with a uh, a taste test. All righty. So, um, Brother Freddie, would you participate with me in this taste test, if you would, please? And I need to prepare this actually first. Forgot about that. And uh, all right, there we go. Almost forgot the most important thing. All righty. So I'll bring all this down here very carefully. Brother Freddie, you stand there. Now, here's what we're going to do. All right. I'm going to hand this to Brother Freddie, and he's going uh, gonna, he's gonna to taste it for us. All right. First, I have a, a cup of, of uh, piping hot coffee. All right. Would you, would you take very careful, take that, and just take a sip of that for us, please. You all right? Yeah. What's, what's the matter? The coffee's drinking hot. The coffee's drinking hot. You burned your mouth on the coffee that he's drinking. Yeah. Okay. All right, well, there's the coffee. All right. Now I've got some milk here I want to try, Brother Freddie. And uh, sorry for the distraction there. But anyway, uh, I just want you to take a swig of the milk. Tell me what you think. Ooh, uh, this is expired. I'm sorry. This is May the 13th. That's uh, just about a month old. You... Okay, all right. He's, he's going to give it a try. Brave man right here. All right. Yeah, trooper for the cause. Take one for the team. You can taste what he's drinking. This is like Twilight Zone, man. It's weird. It's sour? Okay. <laughs> Put the lid back on there. And uh, all right, just to sort of uh, round out all of his uh, taste buds here, would you mind chug-a-lugging a little bit of A1 sauce for us here? You'd be all right with that? All right, very good. And uh, take a couple of swigs of that. There you go, my friend. And uh, chug it on down. You again. You all right, Joe? It's bitter. You can taste that. Okay. Uh, okay. All right. Well, let me put the stuff away, and I'm not really sure that... that uh, uh, that I understand all that, but very good. Let's give our uh, let's give Brother Freddie a hand. He did a great job with the taste test. Fantastic. All right, now let's take let me take a little survey here. Uh, sort of an IQ test now. How many of you think that uh, Joe was actually tasting? What Brother Freddie was putting in his mouth. How many of you think that? Yeah, that, that, probably, that probably happened. All right. Everybody passed the IQ test. Wait, wait, uh, way to go. How many of you think that Joe was just putting on a little act right there, that that might have been staged? Okay. That looks like just about everybody. And the reason that we all voted for the second choice there is because we all know 
that one person's actions can't cause another person to taste bitterness. Don't we? Now be careful about agreeing with that because you may regret it later on. We all know that was put on there. In the text that we read a few minutes ago, the prophet Ezekiel tells us that there was a proverb, a saying, an expression. There was a proverb that had become popular. And by the way, this is written during the captivity. Ezekiel was a prophet in the captivity. And there was a proverb that had become popular in the land of Babylon where the children of Israel were, were in captivity. And it went like this. The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Now, set on edge means, have you ever eaten something bitter like those, uh, you know, those little uh, 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 gummy sour candies? Uh, boy, what was, I forget the name of them, but there was one that was really popular for a while. Do I? Yeah, okay. And, uh, you know, and, and you, uh, I fell for it when, you know, some kid gave me one and said, said here, Brother Joe, try this. This is good. And, and, and two minutes later, you're going, mm. Well, when you're puckering up like that, sometimes you might clench your teeth. I remember when we were kids and we used to uh, bale hay, and one, one day next to the barn, we were putting the hay into the barn, and we were waiting for my uncle was setting up the conveyor belt, and it was taking a few minutes, so we were just sort of standing around, and there was a tree right next to the barn. And the tree had, and I don't know what the official name of these things was, but we called them choke cherries. And you ate the choke cherry, and I mean your mouth turned to cardboard. I'm not kidding you. It was like, it just instantly dried up your mouth. You, you taste something, something bitter or something, that, and, and you might, uh, your reaction sometimes might be to mm, clench your teeth. And that's what he's describing here when he says your teeth set on edge. And this proverb, this expression that had become popular in the, in the captivity was our fathers ate sour grapes, just like Brother Freddie ate nasty tasting stuff or hot stuff, and our teeth are set on edge. One person ate the, the bad stuff and someone else tasted What they were saying is, we're in captivity because of what our fathers did. We're stuck in Babylon because of, because of what our ancestors did. It was such a popular expression that if you go to the book of Jeremiah, we won't go right now, but if you search, you'll find that the same expression is found in Jeremiah. Jeremiah wasn't in Babylon with the captivity. Jeremiah was back in the land of Judah in Jerusalem with the people who were in poverty who were left behind. And back in Jerusalem, they were using that same expression. The fathers ate sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. God was not pleased. In fact, God was as displeased with this proverb as he was with their father's sins. Listen to what he says. What mean ye that ye use this proverb concerning the, the land of Israel? 
Verse 3, As I live, saith the Lord God, ye shall not have occasion anymore to use this proverb in Israel. In other words, God says, I'm putting a stop to this. You're not going to say that anymore. Now, why didn't God like this proverb, our fathers ate sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge? Let me tell you why this proverb displeased God. For one thing, it displeased God because they were blaming God for their circumstances. The people in Judah were in poverty and they were blaming God for it. You say, oh, no, they weren't. They were blaming their fathers for it. No, if God wanted to fix their poverty, he could. So he w- they were ultimately blaming God. The people in captivity were blaming God. You said, no, they weren't. They were blaming their fathers. No, if God wanted to fix their captivity, he could. They knew good and well they were being chastened for their father's sins. And so they decided to blame it on God. Do you understand that when you blame other people for your circumstances, you're ultimately blaming God? These people's ancestors had made idols of wood and stone. But they made idols of blame. When you blame somebody for the circumstances in your life and your blame is keeping you from obeying God, you're serving your blame instead of serving God. That's an idol. Anything you serve instead of serving God is an idol. So when you spend your life saying, well, I can't do this because I was born with a handicap. You're blaming God, and your blame is an idol. And God doesn't like idolatry. Well, I can't do this because I'm from a broken home. My my family is, is divorced. And by the way, their captivity was real. And for many of them, it wasn't their fault. Their, the, the, the statement was a statement of fact. We didn't do this. It was their attitude. It was their reaction to it that God didn't like. Their reaction to their circumstances was to say, this is our parents' fault, not ours. And in doing so, they were blaming God. Do you understand when you blame your past, your family history, your situation that you were born into, whatever you blame, do you understand you're blaming God and you're making blame your idol. So their parents committed idolatry by building idols of wood and stone. They committed idolatry by worshiping blame. Another reason God didn't like this proverb. Because they were content to stay imprisoned by the bitter taste. Everybody in this room, at some time in your life, some of you were born with a bitter taste that someone else put in your mouth. Others of you, over the course of your life, somebody put a bitter taste in your mouth. But their actions put a bitter taste in your mouth. As literally as if Brother Freddie really could 
have eaten something and it caused Joe in the back to say, oh, it doesn't taste good. But somebody partook of, hey, Adam and Eve partook of a fruit and we still have the bitter taste. But it's what you do with the bitter taste that determines whether you're going to be an overcomer or you're going to be a victim. And these people, because they were content to stay imprisoned by the bitter taste, God was not happy at all with the expression, well, our parents ate sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. We're, 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 we've got this bad taste in our mouth and we didn't put it here. It's not our fault. So let's just go ahead and fail. Let's just go ahead and mess up our lives. Let's just, let's just go ahead and party. Let's just go ahead and be drunks. Let's just go ahead and smoke pot. Let's go, just go ahead and marry the wrong person or live a loose lifestyle. Let's just go ahead and, and uh, let our home be broken up. Because after all, I didn't do this to myself. Somebody else did it to me. God said, no, I don't like that. It may very well be that there's something that is hindering you that you didn't cause it. That may be true. In fact, it's true for every one of us. But when you decide to let that imprison you, then it's your sin. It's no longer your parents' sin. It's your sin because you chose to continue to be handicapped by their failure, if, if that's what it is. I'll tell you another reason why God didn't like the expression. Because they used the bitter taste as their excuse to live in failure. They used the bitter taste as their excuse to live in failure. Now listen, everybody fails. Everybody fails. Everybody has things that they're not proud of. Everybody has regrets. But you know who stays in failure? The person who fails again and one more time. Well, that's just because I, I was born this way. Well, that's just because I never got the opportunity to this. That's because my life just isn't as good as that person's life is. That's just because I was cheated as a child. That's just because the boss is playing favorites. That's just because she doesn't like me. That's just because, and you can blame and blame and blame, but all you're doing is blaming your failure on the bitter taste. The bitter taste may very well be real, but you keep blaming your failure on it instead of fixing. You know what you do? When you fail, take responsibility for it. I messed up. Not I messed up, but. Or I I messed up because I messed up. I'm in control of the decisions I make. I take responsibility for it. This is my failure. This is my mess up. Not I failed again, and we all know why. It's because... Let me tell you another reason why God didn't like this expression. The father has, has, fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Another reason that God didn't like it. And this, this may be the most important thing that that's, uh, some of you hear me say this morning. Because they lived focused 
they lived focused on the problem instead of pursuing the solution. Overcomers identify the problem and then they focus on the solution. Victims are obsessed with the problem and they ignore the solution. I'll give you an example. Uh, This is a made-up example, but I'm telling you, it's happened again and again. Pastor, could I see you? Sure, sure. Let's let's sit down and talk about what can I help you with? All right. Obviously, this is fictitious here. If your name is Bob, Bob is my default imaginary guy. So if your name is Bob, I'm sorry. Pastor, I got to tell you about Bob. Bob is just, he's just making my life miserable. Tell me, how's Bob making your life? Well, he's doing this to me, and he's saying this about me, and he's, okay. Uh, He talks for a while, and I say, okay, all right, all right. Well, let me tell you some things you can do. First and foremost, first and foremost, you need to put Bob on the top of your prayer list. You need to pray, spend 5, 10, 15 minutes, maybe more, praying for, for God to bless and help Bob every day. Yeah, because I tell you what, because Bob, I mean, he curses at me, and uh, he, he walks by me, and, and uh, he, he, he hits me as he walks by. Oh, okay, all right. So what you need to do is <laughs> you, you, need to, you need to put Bob on the top of your prayer list, 5, 10, 15 minutes every day. Put him on the top. Of your, you've got to make sure that you're going to God and sincerely saying, God, please help but yeah because i tell you uh his attitude stinks and uh he's talking about me and he do you see there somebody who's not listening to a word i say he's just focused on bob the problem bob victims people who are defeated and i hate to use the word loser because i don't mean it like we use it but people that don't win are people who focus only they are obsessed with the problem. An overcomer identifies the problem and then looks for the solution and then he focuses on the solution. Do you see the difference? How many see the difference? Raise your hand. You're going to decide whether you're an overcomer or a victim by whether you keep just focusing on the problem, focusing on... I think sometimes we like to just focus on the problem because we feel like it takes us off the hook for solving the problem. Do you understand? You're responsible for solving all of your problems even if you're not the one causing them. You're responsible for solving all your own problems even if you're not the cause of them. Now, put in there, I understand that you need to get God's help to solve your problems, but that's what I'm talking about. Getting God's help, doing whatever it takes. God has your answer. The answers are in the book. But you are the one that's responsible to go to God, to check the book, to obey God's word. And it does absolutely no good to say, well, the blame for this is firmly on Bob's shoulders, so... I'm just going to keep going on talking about what a moron he is, and I'm off the hook. No, you're not. No, you're not. Because you are responsible for solving all of your problems, even if you're not the cause of them. 
I feel like I need to say that about 30 more times, but... That's why God didn't like that expression. But can I remind you of something? Not everybody was living by this proverb. Now, the captivity is one of the weakest points of understanding for most Christians in Bible history. You know, we understand what's going on with Abraham or with David. Gets to the captivity, it all gets fuzzy for us. But let me remind you some of the people who lived during the captivity... or shortly after it, who overcame the captivity? Daniel. Daniel did not have all the victories he had by walking around going, yeah, the father ate sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. You don't read that expression in the book of Daniel. Why? Because Daniel was too busy overcoming the bitter taste to walk around saying, yeah, the father's ate sour grapes and children's teeth are set on edge. That's my problem. That's why we're here. It's hopeless. That's why we're here. Daniel had just as much a bitter taste put in his mouth as anybody else did. But Daniel was an overcomer. Hey, there's a way out of those circumstances that you keep blaming on whatever or whoever. There's a way out. There's a way to overcome it, but you're not going to find it. Yeah. It wouldn't be like this if I wasn't born with such and such or nothing ever works for me or even you're blaming God. It may sound like humility. It may sound like you're just having a pity party, but you're blaming God. God never makes anything work for me. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, those are all captivity people. Do you realize that when they refused to bow down, that there was a whole bunch of Jews who were bowing down. The Bible doesn't tell us who they are. But I guarantee you there were people going, yeah, the father ate sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on it. So let's go ahead and bow down to this idol. Hey, i got to be here. I won't get thrown in that fire. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, no! We will not bow down and worship those idols. Ezekiel himself was another one. Ezekiel was a man of the captivity, a young man in the captivity. And if you read Ezekiel's story, it says he was seated on the shores of the river when God called him to preach. God did not appear to the other people seated on the shores of the river. He appeared to Daniel. Why? Because something different was going on in Daniel's head. If you want God to be real to you, you, you something different's got to be going on in there and in there than is going on in the average person's mind and heart. Jeremiah. Jeremiah wasn't in captivity, but he was alive during that time period. He was back in the, with the people who were living in poverty and destruction back in Judah. They were saying the very same ex, uh, um, um, expression... Where Jeremiah lived. Yeah. The fathers ate sour grapes and the children's teeth were set on edge. Jeremiah didn't listen to that. Jeremiah listened to the Lord. Mordecai. Mordecai lived during the captivity. He didn't listen to that. Esther. 
Esther lived during the captivity in, in Babylon. She didn't listen to that. Ezra, great preacher. He was a man of the captivity. He didn't go around saying that. Nehemiah. See, you're going to decide whether you're going to let the bitter taste that somebody else put in your mouth destroy you or if you're going to overcome it. If you want to overcome it, let me tell you how quickly we'll be out of here. What do you do with your bitter taste? Number one, embrace it. Confess it and forsake it. You say, wait, confess it? <laughs> it's not my fault. Do you know, you read how Daniel prayed and how Jeremiah prayed and how Ezekiel prayed. You know what they prayed? God, forgive us for our sins. Talking about his nation. God, forgive us for we have sinned. Way too many times we, we ask God to forgive everybody else because everybody else is sinning. But, of course, I'm so holy and righteous. No. Daniel and Ezekiel and Jeremiah prayed, God, forgive me of my sins. Were you born with something or was something brought into your life, something that plagues you every day, and it's not your fault. Somebody else did this to me. Okay. Own up to it. All right, God, this is my life. Lord, I played, I played no role in making this happen, but it's my life. And I've been bitter about it up to now. And that bitterness, I'm going to start working at it. If you'll give me grace, the bitterness will end today. But I've got to tell you, I think it's going to be there a while. But I want to at least admit, this is my life. This is who I am. I pray that you forgive me for the bitterness. And forgive the sin, Lord. And have mercy. That's where you got to say, you've got to own your circumstances. You've got to stop looking at your circumstances from a distance as if that's not really me. You know, one of the hardest moments of this whole ordeal of my foot, and it's really not something that, that uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's been a chore, but it's not something that plagues me mentally or emotionally. I don't sit and think about, oh, I can't do this anymore. The one thing that bothers me is I'll never wear a pair of cowboy boots again. That, that bothers me. But outside of that, um, but there was a moment. You know, the surgeon, after, after he amputated, it was, it was a month or two, maybe more, and I hadn't seen it yet. And the surgeon was getting me ready for this, for lack of a better word, big reveal. This is your new foot! But anyway. And uh, so the surgeon, he was prepping me for it, mentally, emotionally. But I was at another doctor who didn't seem to much care for the surgeon anyway. And um, he said, have you seen it yet? I said, because he started to unwrap it. And I was like, oh, no, no. He said, you haven't seen your foot yet? I said, no. He goes, you got to see it. I said, no, the surgeon said not yet. He said, you got to see it. He literally unwrapped it and walked out of the room. And I came right on the, because ver- now I'm looking at my new foot. You know what it is? It's, it's basically a stump. I got a stump down there. And it's like, and I came that close. The tears welled up in my eyes when I looked at it. And then they subsided, and I really haven't been bothered much by it since. But it came that moment where I had to own it. That's who I am now. It's the rest of my life. 
I'll never see those five toes again. But I had to own it. You have to own this is your life. And until you can own this is who you are, you won't be able, you won't have peace with it. You won't be able to make progress with it. You got to step back and say, okay, this is where I am. This is who I am. This is what I am. Now let's make something happen. Embrace it. Own it. Next thing you got to do is you got to forgive. You got to forgive those who ate the sour grapes. Now, it's a little hard if maybe they've already passed away and there's no way to let them know that you're forgiving them, but you still got to go through that process of forgiving them. And it may take a lot of time on your knees. God, I've had this, I've had this bitter taste in my mouth my whole life and I haven't known how to, how to deal with it. Every time this subject comes up or every time we go to this kind of an event, or every time I, I see this kind of a thing, every time I hear this song, whatever, I'm reminded of that bitter taste. And I've been filled with anger towards so-and-so. And they're not, here to, they're not here to tell them, but Lord, I need to, between me and you, with the grace that you give me, I forgive them. Now again, one prayer is not going to do it. One prayer is not going to fix it. But it's never going to get fixed if you don't be, begin with a decision for forgiveness. By the way, there are people that can help you with uh, forgiveness. That'll coach you through it. My wife can help you with that subject. Uh, Rick stood here. Rick Reed stood here a little over a year ago and taught us all on the subject of forgiveness. He can give you great insight. They can coach you through it. But you've got to make the decision, I'm going to forgive. You've got to embrace it. You've got to forgive. Then you've got to acknowledge that everyone has handed some kind of bitter taste. One of the most dangerous poisons that Satan uses is to cause you to think nobody has it as bad as you do. Everybody else has it so good. Listen, I guarantee you everybody in this room has something they have to deal with. If there were a child, and there may be that I'm not aware of, if there were a child of a multimillionaire in this room, we would all look at that person and go, well, he's got no problems. No, I guarantee you there's some, there's some bitter taste there that, that they have to deal with. Nobody has a cakewalk. It's funny. What guy A lacks and wishes he has, that guy B has, guy B's over here wishing that he had what guy A has. And the thing that he lacks is his excuse why he can't succeed And if he just had this, he could succeed. And this guy over here is saying, if I just had what he has, I could succeed. But I lack what he has. And all you're doing is blaming your failure. Look, if we all wanted to find the lack, we all could find it. We all have a lack somewhere. And we could all identify it, and we could all blame our failures and our weaknesses on that lack. There are people sitting around you that have heartaches that that you have no idea that they bear. And you just think, well, I could be happy too if I had it as easy as they do. Well, just because they haven't spilled their guts and told you all their problems doesn't mean they don't have heartaches. Stop and, and let go of the poison of, well, nobody's ever had it as bad as I do. That's a lie, and Satan's killing you with it. 
Acknowledge that everybody has a bitter taste to deal with. Next, determine to be the one who turns the bitter to sweet. Daniel turned the bitter to sweet. Ezekiel turned the bitter to sweet. We go all through that list. We know these people's names because they determined to turn the bitter to sweet. Hey, if all you do is take that bitter taste and fail and fail and fail and say, it's because this is what I was handed. I had no choice. Guess what? Your kids are going to be doubly goofed up as you are. Tell I just won't have kids. <laughs> Your friends will be doubly goofed up. You will influence people to be more goofed up than you are if you live your life so bitter because you didn't decide, hey, you know what? Yes, I was handed some bitterness. Yes, I was handed some bitterness. But by the grace of God, I'm going to turn the bitter to sweet. Seek God's sweetness for your life. If you read on, the, the, more of what we read there, and also in Jeremiah, and Jeremiah more so, it gets prophetical. There's coming a day where everyone who has dealt with the bitterness that they were handed will never again have reason to say. And the prophecy is, of course, for the, it, first of all, for the coming of Christ and then for the new Jerusalem, the new heaven. The new, it's, it's all different stages, but it's all one big picture, one big prophecy. But who is that promised to? It's promised to the people who deal with the bitter taste properly. If you seek the sweetness from God in spite of your bitterness, God will bring you to it and he will bring it to you. But you've got to determine, number one, I'm going to be the one who's going to turn the bitter to sweet. And number two, I'm going to seek the sweetness that God has. Just like every person in this room has a bitter taste that you could blame all your problems on, it's also true that every person in this room has access to the sweetness. Because God promises it to anyone who will seek him. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Seek the sweetness. So here's the question. What are you going to do with your bitter taste? What are you going to do with your excuse? What are you going to do with the built-in opportunity that every one of us has been handed? Are you going to use it to gripe your way to the grave? Or are you going to say, yeah, I got this bitter taste and wasn't my choice. I didn't choose to be born poor. Or I didn't choose to be born to, into a... And I know this is a, a mockery of a, of a phrase, but it's, it's a real concept. I didn't choose to be born into a dysfunctional family. I didn't choose to be raised with these character traits. You know, I've met people before that their, 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 their father was, was giving them, you know, shots of whiskey before they were five years old. They had no choice in that. I didn't choose that. Okay, no, you didn't choose the bitter taste, but you choose what to do about it. Who are you going to be? Father, I pray that you'd help.